welcome to the On Relating Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Ginn. And in today's episode, I interview Victor Waring, a dear friend of mine. He's in my men's group, and he is a wonderful educator in the realm of sexuality and relationship and truly embodies it. I've known him for years, and it's just a, a joy, a pleasure, and inspiration to see how he moves through the world, how he relates in such a deeply authentic way. I think you'll really love this podcast. We cover deep questions like, what does it mean to develop your sovereignty in relationship? What does a self-pleasuring practice look like? And how do we move through some of the shame and some of the confusion as we develop such a practice? Another big question that we explore is, how do you develop an ability to stand in your truth and in your pleasure when you're in close proximity to your partner? I can't say enough about Victor, and I think you'll get a feel, you'll certainly get a feel for his depth of wisdom and heart as you listen. Enjoy. Welcome, Victor Waring. Thank you. See here with you today. Yeah. Thank you, Ryan Ginn. <laughs> I uh, I just want to invite you to share with the listeners a little bit about a little bit about yourself, like whatever feels relevant to this podcast, which is mostly about navigating relationships. And yeah, yeah, introduce yourself. All right. So, um, yeah, my name is Victor Waring. Um, uh, I am a somatic. Sexuality, sexuality and relationship educator and coach. Um, and my background is in somatic psychology. So I've worked as both a psychotherapist um, and as a, as a coach and mentor. That's mostly my work now. <clears throat> and, um, and yeah, and I work with uh, individuals and people in relationships of all kinds, uh, and also communities as well, um, uh, supporting intimacy and sexuality and eros and um, and uh, relationship skills, communication, all that wonderful good stuff. Mm-hmm. And you've been doing some good stuff online these days. I haven't got to experience it myself, but can you tell? Tell me, tell us a little bit about what you've been up to in terms of facilitating some groups and explorations yeah. around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, uh, let me see. Uh, upcoming, I'll be taking part in the uh, Oregon Tantra Festival. Um, just recently, I took part in um, something called the, uh, the uh, Virtual Intimacy Online Retreat. Um, and it's it's actually interesting, Ryan, because right now we're in a, I mean, I don't have to say this to anyone because we all know where we are, but we're in this pandemic phase of life. And so um, there's this uh, really interesting irony of doing uh, teaching and facilitating in particular of, of intimacy-based skills um, virtually. Um so anyway, that's been kind of yeah. How's that going? Um, I think it goes. I think it goes. It's been going well. Um, uh, it's uh, what it, it's counterintuitive that it would be 
a good platform um, because intimacy has so much to do with, you know, three dimensionality and in the room, you know, seeing, smelling, being in energetic presence of other people. Um, but it works. And another piece to it is that uh, there's, there's an accessibility to it that is uh, it's more accessible to more people online. So, um, I, you know, I don't want it to be the end all be all of what I do. Um, but I have discovered some, some good things about it. Um, in particular around accessibility, uh, uh, and where accessibility and class sort of meet each other. Um, things are more affordable for people and you can connect with people, you know, it could be in a class facilitating something. And I realize, you know, I'm talking to someone who's in Australia <laughs> at, mm-hmm. at the time. So Mm-hmm. yeah awesome yeah and so where do you do you see that i mean you must be learning a lot in that process like where, where do you do you where do you see it going any anything you're excited about mm-hmm. around it around that venue um i am excited uh about uh being able to do more of my work for more people um mm-hmm. Uh, to be able to to touch a broader range of people over a broader area and um, be be seen uh, and connect in more in more places, it's just a little easier. And it's it's not that those things weren't happening before. I mean, they weren't happening as much for me. There, but there's been a lot of people doing online coursework and group work and that sort of thing. But the the pandemic has sort of turned up the volume uh for those things for for many people um, including myself so zooming out a little bit like um because a lot of the listeners might not even i mean they're tra- probably just making up shit in the moment like tantra pleasure like you know they they're they, it's probably for some like a, a just a concept like there's some way in the moment you could kind of ground it out and get it get it more explicit, so to speak, for for those that are just pretty pretty green. Um, ask ask your question again. What what is it you want? Like describe what the work looks like, kind of looks like for for people for people, right? Yeah. Like because otherwise they're they're probably I don't know their imagination's going in different sure. places. So um, so I'll I'll zoom in on on my work because I like mentioned the Oregon Tantra Festival. I don't consider myself a tantra educator, so I'll zoom in what I, what I do, which is somatic sexuality and uh, relationship work. So. Um, so the somatic piece means that um, som- somatic just means body. So my work is body centered. Uh, and what that basically comes down to is uh, uh, understanding that um, our, our emotional processes, um, our psychological processes, and, uh, and then our sexuality happens in our bodies. Um, these are body-based experiences. And so the way to work with those things um, is uh, is with and through the body, um, and sometimes that that seems like kind of apparent. Well, um, 
to, to people, but also we tend to like sit in the, get into rooms, like with a lot of therapies based on getting into rooms and, and talking, um, which is not a bad way to do things. But um, since these things live in our bodies, oftentimes we, we need um, experiential education to, to really help us get to it. So, so what does that mean? Because as soon as you say body, uh, people, there's all kinds of stories about that. So some of my work um, looks uh, fairly like what you would expect in a counselor or a therapist's office. So I'm talking with people um, and uh, coaching is more guidance based than, um, than, than therapy. So some of it's more directive, but I'm talking with people and helping them create strategies, name goals that they want in their relationship life or their sexual life. Um, uh, and the body piece in that is connected to um, really, first of all, getting people in, in very centered uh, bodily places as they're talking um, so they're not just sort of talking out of their head. They're really understanding, oh, these, these things, these feelings I'm having are actually, they're connected with my heart. They're connected with my belly. Um, I have patterns of, of being, whether it's like rigidity or looseness that are connected with these feelings that I'm having. Um, and so that can happen at the, at the talking level. Um, but we also do experiential work. Uh, which involves movement-based practices, which uh, involve, um, uh, and uh, this is a good example, like with couples, things like boundary work, uh, things like under understanding uh, space and proximity where we get up and we're actually moving uh, with each other, or they're moving with, with each other and understanding that they're something like their boundaries um, uh, exist at a physical level and that they can actually feel in their bodies what what their boundaries feel like rather than for it to, uh, for it to be a, a, a concept. Um, mm -hmm. So things like that. Um, mm -hmm. And then with the, with the education piece, um, there's a lot about our, uh, and in particular when it comes to uh, sexuality and eroticism, um, there's a lot that we um, think we know, but we don't know. Most people have had really terrible uh, sex sexuality education, if they had any at all. Um, and so there's uh, some really basic uh, uh, lack of knowledge that many of us have. So a lot of my education goes into into those pieces, uh, it's sort of a re a re education um, about our physiology and our anatomy, um, and I'll, and I'll just name sort of one uh, one of the cornerstones of the work that I do. Um, uh, I'll use the word sovereignty a lot in in the work that I do. People developing a sense of sovereignty, uh, both uh, emotional and sexual sovereignty. Um, and so one of the cornerstones of the work that I do is, is, is in regards to self-pleasure um, and supporting people in developing self-pleasure practices, um, understanding that self-pleasure is actually uh, a pretty powerful testament to, uh, to sovereignty. Um, 
So oftentimes. What might that look like for, for someone, you know, again, kind of a term that people may leap to certain, certain uh, images of what that looks like. Mm -hmm. Right. But what might that look like for, for someone to develop a self-pleasure practice? So we'll talk in session about um, their history with uh, self-pleasure and I'll distinguish between self-pleasure and masturbation. So usually people are talking about masturbation um, when they talk about their history. Um, And just to give a quick thing there. um, uh, And first of all, none of it's bad. Masturbation isn't bad and self-pleasure is good uh, or vice versa. But um, when I, talk to people about masturbation, it's usually about, uh, uh, it's purely focused on genital touch and stimulation and having pleasure and orgasms, which is a wonderful thing to do. (laughs) Um, But people talk about their history with that, which is often um, woven in with a lot of different things, including things like shame, uh, experiences in their family, messages that they were given by their family about touch and pleasure um, and often those are either negative associations or um, uh, or things just weren't talked about at all. Um, uh, and so I'll get a, a better understanding of uh, someone's sort of innate uh, relationship with, with pleasure, especially pleasure provided by themselves in their body. Um, and I'll explain to them that... Uh, you know, when we talk about sexuality, uh, for instance, if I ask someone, when was the first time you had sex? Most people will talk about the first time that they had sex with another person. Um, and so I'll reframe this a little bit and, and, and say, what would it be like to consider the sex that you have with yourself as primary? Like you are your primary sexual partner, actually. And so then, when did you first have sex? Um, and so sometimes people, that kind of throws people off. Then they, they go back to their first experiences. Oops, sorry about that. Um, they'll go back to their first experiences. Um, and they may, they may suddenly understand, oh, actually, the, the first time I was really a sexual being was when I was six. Um, and I first remember touching myself. So it, it's, it's, a, it's a more expansive model, but, um, so, but, um, to answer your question about what does creating a self-pleasure practice look like? Um, so I'll talk with a person and, um, and we'll talk about what is it like, what would it be like for you to, to create a specific time and place to develop this relationship with yourself, um, to develop this, this potential to lean into uh, pleasure, uh, to uh, have time set aside where that's all you do. You, you lean into pleasure and you don't do anything other than what is geared towards finding pleasure in your body. And, also, and you'll come up against grit doing that too. But but to but to lean into that, and so the 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 focus and self pleasure practice actually isn't on necessarily on orgasm, um, and sometimes it's not even on arousal, but it's it's about feeling sensation in your body and being curious and actually have a having a relationship with yourself. Um, 
And the idea being that the more that you can stand in that, the more you can go, oh, this is my body. This is what it feels. This is what it experiences. This is what it's like when I make time and space for myself. Uh, it gives you a better capacity to go, oh, th this is mine. This is my body. This is my pleasure. Um, this is what I choose to stand in. Um, and that's a really powerful thing. Um, and it, uh, and from there, it typically turns into, okay, and now how do you bring that into what other relationships that you have in particular, like a, a partnership, a marriage, a sexual relationship, what happens when you are deeply rooted and connected into the, your own power and your own body. And then you bring that to, um, your, your partnership. Um, and it really blows things open uh, for a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and you mentioned like the grit. I'm imagining that's just the, uh, well, the, the, the trauma, the, the pain, the, the stuff that's there once one actually yeah. feels yeah. and has an intention to actually drop into their yeah. body. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, here's, here's, the, here's the areas of grit. Uh, shame. Uh, people are pretty trained not to um, uh, pay attention to their own pleasure or that to do so is self-indulgent or it means something. And so that can bring up shame. Uh, it can bring up uh, boredom uh, for the same reason that um, sitting in meditation, uh, people resist that because it's about slowing down and paying attention to yourself paying attention mm -hmm. to stuff out there. Um, uh, so people will resist sometimes. Um, and then we can, we have conversations about, yeah, what does it mean that you are resisting pleasure? Um, what is it, what does it mean that the way you regard, uh, pleasure and eroticism in your life is kind of like, uh, you know, people use pie charts all the time. Uh, what does it mean that like Eros lives in like a really tiny slice of the pie that you maybe get to when you're done with your chores and your yoga practice and your work, you know, and then maybe you get to the erotic part of your life, if, if at all, um, versus having a life that's actually like where eroticism is actually the pie and then everything else fits mm into the pie um so I, I hope i'm not being too esoteric here but what i really try to get to with people that i work with is that um uh eros is broader than sex uh eros is about being connected to uh feelings of aliveness and creativity and pleasure and how can that plug into all areas of your life uh, including your sexuality, but not excluding your trip to the market, you know, or mm -hmm. dealing with mm -hmm. uh, your boss or interacting with your kids or whatever else you do. It's a, it's a radical yeah. <laughs> approach. Right? I mean, given the, given the, 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 the cultural norms, uh, don't hold that as a value, no. right? No. Yeah. So it's um, 
So, and there's all this internalized yeah. culture. Yeah. Right? That, we, that you're, you're kind of pointing to is that I'm just imagining that person. My, I'm, well, I, I could say I could imagine myself lying there and just kind of f- feeling into what is what is this even what, what what does it even look like to be self-pleasuring and isn't that yeah kind of like the stuff you said isn't that weird isn't that um i don't know maybe there's shame around i don't even know how to do yeah. that very well right and we have so much there's so much performance um uh capability stuff going on in our culture too where it's we don't like to feel our deficiency or our, inca- you know, our incapability. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of grit that comes up when we come into relationship with ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of power in, 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 in understanding that relationship. And, and it's not, and, you know, and it's not to, uh, it's not to make your relationship with yourself, like the end all be all it's, it's to deepen your relationship with yourself so that when you connect for its own purposes, but then when you connect with others, like in relationship or outside, you know, whatever relationships you have, you're coming from a full place and you're coming from a place where you really get yourself so that you're not giving yourself away in order to get something from outside of you, um, which is a pretty uh, strong and typical dynamic that I see in relationships. Um, people don't know how to be in proximity to someone else uh, without giving themselves away. Do you, when you say that, do you have a, do you have a sense of, do you have, do you have a sense of a difference between, I mean, it gets into generalities, but I'm curious whether you have a sense of whether there's different in your experience, whether there's a kind of a common male version of that and a common female mm. version of that. Uh, gosh. Um, probably uh, I'm trying to like conjure it up right now. <laughs> um, well, well, why don't I talk about versions of that and we'll sort of see. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, a common version of giving yourself away, um, is to, uh, uh, gosh, uh, to not have opinions about things, to defer to someone else's authority, to, um, uh, slowly or quickly uh, allow your world to shrink when you're in partnership. So suddenly like you don't have connection or access to the things that really give you enjoyment or uh, where suddenly, you know, it's like, Oh yeah, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't done this for years or I haven't connected with so-and-so for years, or I haven't done this activity for years because um uh, I've given it up uh, to be in partnership or I've, or I have the story that in order to be in partnership, I need to let those things go. Or, um, or sometimes there's active diminishing by a partner. You know, we do that to each other where, you know, it's like, yeah, I don't want you to be doing those things anymore. <laughs> those things bother me or they threaten me. And so therefore don't do those things. 
Um, so that's, that's one way. And, 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 uh, another way, um, and maybe this is the gender piece, uh, to give yourself up, uh, you know, some, sometimes people will, will steal themselves away from giving things up. So, so instead of, um, instead of maybe giving something up and being more in sort of the merger way, um, they will, uh, wall themselves off, uh, and do more of the, like, I'm going to like put myself in this little container that you can't get to, um, kind of do things my way or create, create my safety by being in a small, small place. And I'll have my own little thoughts and I'll have my own little things that I do. Um, but sort of energetically, I will sort of like be in this like small tight <laughs> container. Um, so anyway, yeah, there's lots of ways that people do this. Um, and so when I'm talking with people, uh, and when I bring, when I bring in the concept of sovereignty, um, sometimes people mistake it for autonomy. But when I talk about sovereignty, it's like, it is, what is, what is your ability to stand in yourself, to stand in your truth, to stand in the things that are important to you, to stand in your pleasure, to do all those things while in proximity to someone else who's doing the same thing. And neither of you lose anything. Yeah, I'm just letting that one, like, because there's a there's a there's a there's a paradox almost built into that, or at least there's a counter a counter ones. I think you 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 put the question out like that because it's 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 counter a lot of people's almost beliefs, uh, right? If if I if I do that, then um, the other person will um, leave, for for example. Um, or, or if I do that, the other person will get so small, I guess it's a form of leaving, that they, um, that I'll lose my connection with them. Um, all, all manner of different assumptions, right? And Because it, it, it has this impact. It has an impact to step into sovereignty in that way. And it has a relation, uh, I'm, I'm sure you witnessed this, there's an impact on the relational system that might be a, initially a bit um, destabilizing, mm -hmm. apparently. Yeah. Well, I think what often comes up for people when I say things like this is, um, oh, sovereignty means like doing whatever the heck I want whenever I want to. And I can't do that. Mm -hmm. And I, I say to them, yeah, you're right. You can't do that. <laughs> uh, so it's not about like doing whatever the heck you want whenever you want to, however you want to. Um, and I'm talking about, you know, more so in some level of relationship with someone. Um but it's uh, but it is about standing in what's true for you. Um, so here here's one. I mean, this one is a uh, this one is usually pretty rattling for people. Um, so uh, uh, in relationships, we um, one of the narratives is that if you are with someone who is a good match for you. Um, that means that you will never have or would rarely have uh, erotic or sexual attractions 
outside of that connection. Um, or if you do have them, they'll be minor, um, not worthy of talking about. Um, uh, or if that you do have those, those attractions, something's wrong. Like if you, if you're really in partnership with someone and really well connected with them, um, that, that means your eroticness wouldn't be moving out other places. Um, and, you know, that's not where I come from when I'm working with people. Uh, first of all, I know that there's a, there's a spectrum of this. Pe you know, people have this in, in different degrees. But the, the baseline that I hold uh, when I'm working with people is uh, uh, due to our, our nature, due, I mean, due to who we are as primates, we're actually designed to feel attractions in eros in in a wide variety of places and so the power and the partnership come comes from not uh saying that that never happens or occurs to us in our bodies the power comes from given all that i'm with you that's a powerful thing mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and there's and there can be a freedom in it in um uh in in really naming with people yeah given given all of those things i'm choosing to be with you uh and the freedom is and knowing that i then don't have to put a lot of time and effort into monitoring and policing where your where your energy goes um if we're if we're good if we're clear with each other and we're being um uh, I'm trying to make sure I don't get away from what we were originally talking about because we were talking about sovereignty. If uh, if I don't spend a lot of time trying to control or somehow monitor your erotic energy, and I can accept the fact, oh, that that's actually yours. Uh, it was yours before I got here. <laughs> if for some reason we're not in relationship anymore, it'll be yours after I'm gone. That's yours. Uh, I don't have to manage it. So if I don't have to do that, that's a lot of freedom. Uh, and then the, wor the work becomes, so what are the agreements that we keep with each other? Um, what are the ways that we stay in integrity um, with each other? How do we, uh, even, even though we're sovereign beings, um, due to my upbringing and due, due to your upbringing, there, there may be places where we get poked, <laughs> um, even though we know and love and trust each other you know how do we how do we navigate those things um but this and the sovereignty the sovereignty comes from the acknowledgement that you are a separate being than me um and that part of yourself your since we're talking about erotics your erotic nature um is pretty uh free free roaming um, and when I say roaming, I'm not talking about behavior. I'm talking about your sense of yourself. Um, but you've chosen to share that with me. And, uh, and that's awesome. But it's not mine <laughs> to control. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, right. It's not yours to control. And then there's very real moments where, say, a person has an ex- has a history of yep. being betrayed, mm-hmm. say, right? And they're in and they're in partnership with someone in this way. They they want to respect the sovereignty of the other, and they have to na- navigate. G- given their own, using your word, their their own commitment to their own sovereignty, they have to navigate what they can tolerate in the in the roaming in the. In, in, in even in mild behaviors, even in just the um, the look the look that uh, that their partner might give to a to another, um, yeah, those those very real. How do you how do you coach a, a couple through, say, such yeah. a situation? So I'll start with what I was saying before, that all these things are true, um, and then I and then I'll work with them on. So let's say you are a person who has a history of having betrayal happen to you. And maybe that's even maybe maybe it's it's even before your direct experiences. Maybe you grew up in a family where there was a lot of betrayal going on. So um, the the first thing I would say is the, those feelings that you have uh, uh, they're valid. You know you can't just not have those feelings even if you don't want them. Um, and we would work on um, what are what are the what are the things about that that you can take ownership of. When I say ownership, I don't mean like it's like not your fault, but I mean that those are your feelings. Those are yours to to work with in some way. Versus, oh, I have these feelings. I have uh, uh, trauma around betrayal. Um, ownership is different than so. Therefore, what I require you to do is never think about another person. Uh, I require you to only look at men. Um, never have friendships with women because then I'll get discombobulated. That's unsustainable. Mm-hmm. It's what what people do, <laughs> right? But it's but it's but it's unsustainable. Uh-huh. So I work with people and like, how can you take ownership of that? Um, and then if you're in partnership. How can you how can you share those vulnerabilities that you have and collaborate on things and make agreements about things, but still understand that this is coming from your wound? So, like if we're in partnership together and I have that wound, um, you know, I might say, "Hey, you know what? I I need to let you know that when I'm particularly sensitive." Um, to when I when I have a feeling my partner might go away and they're looking at other people because I'm I'm afraid of being betrayed. That's a valid thing to be saying to your partner. Um, mm-hmm. You might make some agreements with each other about how you're going to interact with other people, and it would be coming from the partner would be coming from a, a place of love and support rather than resentment and diminishing and and being controlled. But the partner might say, um, I hear you and I want to support you in that. And, um, I know I have friends who are also people who I'm attracted to. So how are we going to work with that? 
um, because I don't want to give up those friendships. Um, that's a diminishment, but I can, I can make some agreements about how I'll spend time with those friends or what we'll do, you know, things like that. So the, that's where the, that's where it, 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 it comes in. And, um, when this is going on at the beginning of relationships, um, sometimes I, I talk with people about, um, uh, dating your own species, to be transparent about this, that's not a phrase that I made up. Another really wonderful sexuality educator um, uses that phrase a lot. But what I mean by dating your species is um, uh, oftentimes when people start to come together because they like each other, because they feel attraction, because they're drawn to each other, um, they don't, they won't want things to get in the way of that because it's good, you know? Uh, but sometimes mm-hmm. there are things about ourselves that um, we, we, we don't necessarily share in particular when it comes to desires and sexuality and um, uh, I'll just call it like your sexual personality. We don't share because of either shame or like, if I said this, this person wouldn't want to be with me. And so um people will build these attachments and relationships with someone who at some other levels, they're not, it's not the best match. So um, I talk to people in people who are single or people at the beginning of their relationships. uh, What, what species of animal are you in terms of your desires, in terms of your sexuality, in terms of a lot of different things? Um, uh, are you the type of animal, um, uh, that, uh, is very, uh, flirty, uh, is that is very erotically expressive? Um, um, do you have a kind of, uh, personality where it's important to you to have, uh, a, a lot of varying friends and connections and blah, blah, blah. I'm just these are just examples. There could be a million different things. Um, uh, are you the kind of person who values uh, a really tight, closed, cozy container without a lot of other outlying things going on? Um, are you the kind of person because of your history or whatever that is really put off by, uh, someone who is flirty or well-connected in other ways. I mean, it's, so it, it's, uh, it's about really taking stock of like, what are you, what are your real values? Um, and then can you find that, you, uh, that, that in another person, in other words, can you d- date your species uh, versus getting mm-hmm. three years, four years, five years, seven years, into a relationship where people have hidden these pieces of themselves and they blow up because they've been hiding themselves for a long time and hiding yourself turns into resentment of the other person or boredom or what, all those things that we do. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. It makes, it makes me think too, how that, 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 that relationship that you're talking about that was maybe, maybe a form formulated when, when uh, both partners say we're in a certain, uh, configure like uh, a certain stage of their development 
and then seven years in, you know, one or both shift and the relationship itself has to go through a, a revisioning, an evolution, right? They have to collab, they either have to collaborate and sort of incorporate the, the, these new, um, these new energies, these new, um, these new parts uh, of each other that are now uh, now come to the foray or, or they, or they have to let it go. I mean, it's, those are very real experiences that relationships have. And oftentimes they don't, you know, they don't, they don't have someone as skilled as yourself, I think, to actually help them sort of identify that this is perfectly natural, that, that it's not some betrayal. It's just something awoke in this person that was previously dormant and it's needing to be integrated and it's not going to be easy because you're used to a certain set of, of routines and, Oh, you come home at night and we'd watch the, we watched the show together. And now you're like wanting to just go to with your girls and do this like goddess, whatever. Right. Like, who are you? Uh, yeah. I don't know. You know, whatever. Yeah, for the first couple of years of our marriage, um, I, all I wanted to do was to go to go to bed and know that you were in the same bed with me and that our bedroom was like our, our sanctuary. And now I need my own space. And in fact, the, 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 the fact that we're like on top of each other and in the same bedroom all the time makes me less desirous to be intimate with you. And so I, now I want my own space, but we have the story going on that uh, if we have separate bedrooms, that means something's wrong. Um, but mm-hmm. maybe it doesn't. Maybe we experiment with having different spaces um, and we uh, let ourselves evolve that way and we see what happens. Maybe three months into that, we discover, oh my God, we didn't want to have sex, but now I'm visiting your bedroom <laughs> every night and that feels juicy but if we stay with, but if we mm-hmm. stay with this, that story mm-hmm. of like yeah um what the way we're supposed intimacy means being this um if we stay with that um we might have a harder time but that's but that's upsetting mm-hmm. it's upsetting Heart. yeah right Right. So something I'm getting kind of in the moment is imagining you kind of working with people in that way and, and some of the work I've done too, but you've done a lot more, you know, in terms of, of facilitating, a, you know, shifts or a deepening in, in a couple's um, sexual, sexual world uh, is that, that you're, you're serving as a sort of, um, per, I don't know, the word permission comes in, 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 comes to mind. And, um, and excavator or gentle sort of like, what, well, what would you like? Would that, would, could that be okay? Right. Kind of imagining you asking that question to someone who wants to say, you know, I actually really just want my own space to sleep in. It's been these first couple of years have started, I've started to feel oppressed, you know, in your role coming into that system and saying, how can we help gracefully experiment there and not make it like you're saying a, a, like a symptom that the relationship is falling apart. Now she doesn't want to sleep with me you know, managing, regulating that system so that yeah. I can experiment and see what happens. Or at least yeah. Cause people are, people are holding such strong, right. I mean, it's just where, you know, depending upon their, their conditioning, right. They're holding sometimes very rigidly concepts and, and ideas and visions of what, what a successful relationship looks like. 
and they have to be, you know, gently yeah. disavowed. Of yeah, there are, there are very, very strong cultural nar- narratives about what relationships are supposed to look like and what intimacy is supposed to look like. Um, and oftentimes those narratives, uh, ironically, counterintuitively, um, they, set, they can set us up to having actually less juiciness. Um, or they can, or they can be uh, sort of a rigid structure where people are like, uh, "Oh, I, I, I can't question that." If I question that, it means I'm questioning mm-hmm. the validity of this relationship. So I'm like, "Well, what if we?" You're, you know, usually at the point I'm seeing people. I'm sure, this happens with you too. It's because something's not working very well. They're having challenges. It's like, well what if we, what if you gave yourself permission to like shake things up a little bit and not blow the, not blow up the house, but at least to like, at least to be able to name desire or something that feels like Mm -hmm. desire (laughs) Um, to be able to name it in the room Mm -hmm. with your partner even. And then from there going, what can we, can we, deconstruct this a little bit and see what see what we come up with and it's it's powerful and it's scary mm-hmm. it is right because i mean the the elephant in the room is that this could right this could dissolve the relationship maybe yeah right? the, the anxiety that comes with that right or that's that's the fear yeah. mm. That's the fear. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, in, in some ways, a lot of, a lot of this is about creating either with help someone such as yourself or just in the relationship itself, a, uh, a, a perfect, not perfect, a, a, a custom like intervention that, that is not too much, you know, it isn't like you say going to blow the system, but it's something that's going to be, be an experiment that they can handle that, that will help the relationship grow and st- stretch a little bit because every relationship can, can, yeah. can stagnate, can just go into a homeostasis. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I think one of the, the things you mentioned before this started was uh, w- like, what's a, what's the situation like working with a, a couple that's like really hard to work with. And what you just said brought this up for me. And that is when the people in the, in the relationship, um, what are the words for this? Uh, when really what they want is to, is to, is to self-destruct the, the system but they're not willing to say that or do that yet. Um, and so then my, sometimes my work with people is, uh, is like sitting with them in, in that and not, you know, uh, there's always that, that balance of like being supportive and witnessing versus being like pokey <laughs> and, um, cha- and challenging. But yeah, when I if I sit in a room with a with a couple that uh, 
where I get the sense that, uh, oh, you guys are done. Like the things that you're doing and saying and the behaviors that you're exhibiting are about being done. But you're not done yet. Um, so they'll be asking, you know, they'll be asking for strategies of like, how do we redo, reconnect, whatever. And I'll do that with people, you know. Um, anyway, and, and I, you know, and I bring my humility there. I don't necessarily know whether people are done, you know. I don't know when I'm done sometimes. <laughs> um, right. Sure. Well, yeah, it makes it calls to mind. Uh, you know, Stan Stan Tatkin has an exercise for those situations. It's called bending metal, and he has one of the partners. You know, very you know, eye to eye, close proximity. Look at the other, and he says, uh, "Go ahead and tell them uh, we're done here. Go. Mm -hmm. See see how that feels in your body. Go ahead, tell them. You know, and then they they might come. I well, I'm not. I don't want to say that. I, you know. I'm not quite right, you know, whatever resistance yeah. and then you can track that. And then the other side, go ahead and now look them in the eye and say, whatever it's going to take, I'm going to stay with you till, till this feels complete. Go, you know, to make it more experiential because right, because people are, you know, there's a, there's this difficult experience of ambivalence that it's just very part of the human condition, right? Because no other person is our per is perfect for us. Every every person has so many annoying, uh, disappointing qualities that we that we end up having to live with. So it just naturally give, gives rise to a part of us that's like, wow, I could be relieved of having to deal with these annoyances, yeah, with these deficiencies, yeah. Uh, as, uh, Dan Savage puts it, yeah. um, he talks about, uh, yeah, there, there's no perfect partner. There's only the person that you can round up. Uh, yeah. And so the question <laughs> comes like, with right. what you've got between yeah. each other, um, is, is this a situation where you can round up? But yeah, there's no perfectness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. anything you uh do you want to just check in for a moment as we kind of wind down here is there anything that you want to share with the listeners that feels really really important for for them to know you know something simple and to the point to the yeah the kind of gist of what we're we're exploring today um what I want people to know about themselves and um, and about their relationships is that uh, uh, that there's so much room to bring to yourself, uh, to bring compassion to yourself, and to and to bring compassion to whatever it is you're doing with another person um there's so much room for that and to understand that um uh that we are uh that we're, we're primates we are we are really clever uh beautiful primates 
Um, and I say primate a lot because literally it's what we are. Uh, but sometimes the, the, the place where we're not very compassionate towards ourselves is we have this idea that uh, humans somehow have something together <laughs> uh, in a way that we really don't. We're, 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 we are animals. And on top of that, we're animals that have been very over millennia sort of moved away from uh, our natural sort of ways that we interact with each other. And we're and so I'm sorry, I'm making, I'm not making this very simple. Um, but the, 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 the compassion is <laughs> that um, there are ways that we've been con conditioned to think we should be that are very much at odds often to the, the ways that we are. And, um, and so I want to make sure that people have compassion for the ways that we actually are. <laughs> there, there are reasons why it's, it's hard mm -hmm. <laughs> and we think we failed and, mm -hmm. and we don't. we're not, we're not yeah. failures. It's just, yeah. Right. Right. It's just, it's just hard. We're, we're animals with prefrontal cortexes that are yeah. sometimes just judging the shit out of us yeah. and thinking that we should be more together than we are. Yeah. Well, I want to acknowledge you, Victor. I mean, you know, I, I just so appreciate you for someone who is courageously opening up conversations that need to happen and opening up um, terrain that needs to be explored and doing it in a really um, compassionate and humorous and playful uh, an intelligent way. Um, just really respect you for that. And just so excited that you were, you're giving it more and more to the world. It, Thank you, Ryan. It needs your guidance. <laughs> I, I In my humble your, opinion. Your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. And where can so, people find um, you? I'm mostly that. findable um, on Facebook. Um, I don't I don't have a regular website. So um, uh, either Victor Waring on Facebook and um, or um, Ab Ovo uh, Somatic Sexuality Coaching, and that's um, A B O V O Ab Ovo. Um, which literally translates into from from the egg, from the from the beginning. So mm -hmm. that's where it can be found. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. There'll be many more to come. We're just going to keep exploring this rich and wild terrain of relationships hoping to deliver support for you as you navigate your relationship journey. If you want some more resources, please come to my website, ryanginn.com, and there'll be articles and other resources for you. And look forward to our next conversation. Take care.